Friends, welcome to the Slaking Thirst podcast, where you'll find the homilies, talks, and reflections of Father Ryan Mann and Father Patrick Schultz of the Diocese of Cleveland. Slaking Thirst is all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, which is also a divine heart, seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts will meet and both thirsts will be slaked. Thanks for joining us on the journey into Christ's desire for us. Parker, thanks for the introduction, and uh, I got to know a few of you this morning that I hadn't met yet, but uh, I obviously I know the team from this year in Cleveland, and I know uh, well, only I know Andrew and Carly from last year's team, hello, and uh, some of you I've met in the meantime, and Culture Project was really nothing on my radar, I didn't even know you existed, uh, until I was in Philadelphia about three or four years ago for a woman named Jen Settle, she was making her consecration to be professionally, what is she? She's consecrated virgin. Thank you. Yeah, um, I call her a professional virgin. So whatever the real term, that's where I got self-conscious. I didn't know the real term all of a sudden. Um, but uh, I was there, and that's when I first met Culture Project. Um, I only met I met David Sow and I met Christina there, and that was it. And I just knew it. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, and about a year later, uh, Christina was with a few uh, missionaries at a. Another event in Cleveland, it was uh, like a pro-life rally type of thing. And she was there and had a table and she remembered me and uh, she said, hey, are you free? I said, yeah. So we went out and we talked for a couple hours about life and uh, just what she was, her hopes and dreams and fears and concerns for Culture Project. And I was sharing my life that was a priest for four years at that time. And she kind of talking about life and that was it. It's where we left it and we text once in a while prayers for each other. That was kind of it. And then uh, Bishop Perez was named to Cleveland, and he met Christina at a bishop's conference the month before he was named to Cleveland and said, call me in one month. She didn't know he was going to Cleveland yet. She goes, okay. And then she called him, and he said, I want to bring Culture Project to Cleveland. So she said, oh, that's great. She goes, I know a priest there, this guy. And uh, she said, um, she's like, if you don't know him already, he kind of knows the mission and stuff like that. So I didn't know that conversation took place. So I met with Bishop Perez about some other things going on in the diocese, and he said, um, you know, I'm meeting with Christina about Culture Project. I said, oh, that's exciting. And he goes, yeah. He said, just letting you know. He kind of looked at me. I said, okay, I don't know what that means in the bishop world. (laughs) In the priest world, it just looked like a strange look. (laughs) So um, about a month later, we knew they were coming, and he told me in passing, he said, it was like in a hallway. He's like, I'd like to make you the chaplain. I said, okay. I didn't know that that was it. That was the whole conversation. I got, a letter in the, I got a letter in the mail, and then I called Christina, and I said, hey, what do chaplains do? She's like, we've never really had one. I don't know. So I was like, well, this is it's exactly what I like, a low bar. I can't fail. So it was good. So uh, the Cleveland team last year, I really fell in love with them a lot. Uh, and then during quarantine, I did everything I could to make sure they didn't miss a Sunday Mass. Uh, so we were there. We had parties on Easter. Um, it's a pink cake Laura made at one point. And then we, they got into watching these uh, Soma documentaries, right, about wine. So then I came over. We had tried wine that people had donated. And uh, they came over. I showed them a great movie called Jojo Rabbit. All right? I think I liked it more than they did because I cried at the end and they didn't. But that's fine. All right? and, uh, and at the end of the year, I remember deep in my heart saying, I don't want to do another year. I said, because I just really didn't expect to love young adult missionaries this much, and I really love them. And I was like, and I just know the second group's not going to be fair to them, because I'm just going to be like, well, you guys are no first group, right? <laughs> and uh, I was like, I just, and I, it, like, 
I think I prayed about it, like, not really, okay, kind of. And I was just like, well, and then I realized, well, they're not, the bishop still assigned me to this. He's not removing it. I thought, okay. I was like, well, I'll hold judgment until I meet the second year people, right? And uh, the second year, the group this year, they know. I just told them this on Wednesday last week. And I said, uh, I said it was within, like, an hour of meeting them. I was like, I was like, first year who? I'm ready. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, realized, I just realized since love really is a participation in God, we put limits on it because we're afraid of how much, how can we possibly hold so many faces and names. But since it's of God, all love is of God, it says in Scripture. God hold, knows everyone's face and name, and we just grow and grow. And so when we're afraid of love, it's a good sign that what we really don't know is how are we going to become divinized? What's that even feel and look like? Because I know the path. I'm meant to love these people now. And I just don't know how much more I have in me. So it's a very humble, tender place. Because in one sense, we don't have the skills on our own. Right? And in another sense, we know we're being moved in that direction. And so it's wildly stretching and frustrating and beautiful. And just failures and successes all seem to blend together. And that's what's really real. And so what I want to talk about today is really our hearts in a heartbroken world. That's the title of my presentation. And I want to begin with this kind of bold assertion is, let's get rid of the spiritual life. I don't want any of you to have a spiritual life anymore. Because it's usually riddled with dualism and compartmentalizing. What you have is your real life, and God is real, and he wants to be a part of it. That's it. There's no, I'm going to go be spiritual now. I don't know what that is. God's like, who are you in those moments? I created you. There's a you. You have your heart, your story, your experiences, in particularly your longings and desires. And there's God who's real and a part of it and in there with you and isn't interested in if you can get the cool prayer voice going when you do a Hail Mary, like, Hail Mary, full of grace. Like, <laughs> he doesn't like that voice. He likes your voice. Right? And if you're like, I always feel guilty that I don't really like the rosary, he's like, good, just come talk to me then. He wants you. No masks, no super impressively spiritual. Spiritual is gone. Right? He created human beings, male and female, and he said, I want to give you a garden, and I am the source of it all, and I'm in it all with you. That's where we begin our lives. So when you wake up and you're dead tired and you're kind of like grouchy, you're like, right there is how God wants to talk to you. Tell me about it. And there's good prayer when it's usually noise and not words. When you're like, that's really good prayer. (laughs) So let's begin with maybe a little prayer experience together. Is where are you at? It's the first question God asked to humanity. Adam, where are you? It's a really good question to start every day. Like physically, you're here. I can see you, right? But your heart may be like three weeks ago. One of your teammates looked at you weird over Cheerios and you're still mad at them for it. Or you may be like, listen, I'm not coming back. Culture Project was nice. I can't wait to get out of this thing. Let's just get these weeks over with quick. Or maybe you're like, how many hours left of that dating fast is over? You know, like whatever those questions are. Wherever your heart's at, Cam with the claws. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
So like, nice, Cam. Nice. Uh, so like, or maybe you're like, I just really am looking forward to some days of prayer. Wherever you're at, God wants to know that. So I'm just going to say a prayer to the Holy Spirit for just for some light and encouragement. And I just want you to become aware of where you're really at and then just share it with the Lord. Share both the content, but also how you feel about being right there. Share all of that with the Lord. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come with fire. Fire is nothing but transformation and love. Fall upon each one of us. Give us the encouragement and affirmation we need to stand boldly in who we are right now. And so just this time of silence, share with the Lord where you're really at. In Jesus' name, amen. Show of hands, like, who was somewhere other than here when you got in touch with your heart? Anyone? Several of you? Some people are just putting a finger up. They're a little embarrassed. That's okay. (laughs) It's all right. You're loved. You're very loved. What makes the inner world so hard? Like, If you ever notice, we have like a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, not to the sacred brilliance of Jesus. So the heart is really a guiding force to understand what it means to be human. Why is it so hard to live with a heart? What makes it so difficult? Well, one of the theologians I like a lot, his name is Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. He died in 2014. He was good friends with John Paul II. He was a chain smoker. He was wildly irreverent, and John Paul II loved him. <laughs> and he wrote a book called God at the Ritz, and he said the phrase in there, it's the secularization of interiority. The secularization of interiority. What he means is, is when you and I say things like this, I'm just, I'm just dumb, I'm just having, like, I just have feeling a lot of emotions, like whatever. You know, or guys will sometimes be like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on with me, all right? You know, a girl's like, I'm just being emotional, all right? And girls then blame themselves for all their emotions. And... Or like, I don't know, my heart's awkward, right? It falls in love constantly. It's just whatever. It doesn't matter. I just got to be a good boy or a good girl. And then I can be, what, loved? But see, all those things that we tell our hearts, it's dumb. It doesn't matter. I just got to do this anyways. Is nowhere near what Jesus says to your heart and to mine. And so here is the God of the universe, Emmanuel, and he's very captivated by your masculine and feminine hearts. And you and I are just shutting them down constantly. They're dumb, they're meaningless, they're naive, they're selfish. It hurts, 
whatever. Let's just make it easier. Let's just make it more manageable. Let's just make it cleaned up. Let's look as beautiful as these icons all day long. But if you read the Bible closely, what you'll find is the heart is a place of meaning. Like divine meaning is echoing in the human heart. It's, the catechism says your heart is the place of encounter. Oftentimes I find that when I feel far from God, it's really because there's something in me I don't want to face and experience. And so I'm shoving that away and like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And he's like, hey, I'm back here. Remember? Like where I've always been. In the place where you really are. That's where I'm at. With pierced hands held out to say, peace. I really do understand. I'm with you. Your heart is also the place where the Holy Spirit is at work. Jesus says there'll be living waters flowing from within you. The waters of life are the Holy Spirit. Which means, like, if you want to know where God's at, what he's doing in your life, you need your heart. With all of its ups and downs and attractions and everything. Your heart is not infallible, but it is indispensable. Right, so just because you feel something doesn't mean it's right. We know that. And so what we normally do then is hearts don't matter. No, 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 no. There's a reason why you feel that way, though. Or all of you are professional speakers. I'm, I'm not, so this is, I mean, this is the worst crowd. But um, in that regard, it's the best in so many ways. Okay. Uh, but like, there's a reason why you may be drawn to lust. It's not simply, oh, that's bad and wrong and shut it down. I'm just going to be good. Well, why do you think you're drawn to it that day? We've probably all heard some spiritual t- director tell you, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, never make a decision in those times. Okay, that's good. Sometimes that's all you ever are, though. <laughs> a different season of life, so what are you supposed to do? Just stay in bed? I don't know. Um, but there's reasons why you're drawn to what you're drawn to. What you claim to be your identity flows from your heart. Your desires and dreams and passions and longings. Your whole story. Everything you've experienced, both immense pain and really a lot of glory. All of it is speaking to you in this moment in and through your heart. And it's also what the powers of darkness have their arrows aimed at. Because if we can get churches full of Christians who don't have heart... We're fine. They're not dangerous. They're not going to breathe fire on the world. They'll just keep telling everyone, just be good. Duty. Obligation. It's called moralism. Because our hearts aren't there. So let's begin with this very important theological truth, and it changes everything if you let it soak in. The Father wants to fulfill your desires. Let that, like, vibrate in you. And notice what's popping up for you. Yes, I've been longing to hear this. Thank you. Or, sure he does, Father. Big roll of the eyes. Or, really? Then four years ago, why wasn't he 
ta ta ta. The Father wants to fulfill your desires. Think about Jesus' questions. Jesus is the image of the Father, right? What does he say? He says, what are you looking for? It's his first question in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. What are you looking for, i.e., what are you seeking? To the man born blind, Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? To the guy who at the pool of Siloam for 14 years couldn't make it into the pool for healing. It's a whole other commentary on that, 14 years really. But it's why I believe Jesus asked him, do you even want to be well? Like Jesus knows and presupposes that your longings and the Father's plan go together. Put it this way, heaven isn't heaven if you're not fulfilled. Right? If you go to heaven and you're like, hey, what about cheeseburgers? It's like, well, it's not really heaven yet, right? <laughs> but St. Catherine of Siena, the church's teaching is, heaven came to earth in Christ and remained here through the Holy Spirit. And so the tastes of fulfillment are still offered to us. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to lead you and me into fulfillment of our deepest desires by bringing us into communion with the Father and his plan for us. That's God's plan for you. What is his plan for you? Is to fulfill your deepest desires. That's why when people are like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with life, and I'll say, well, what do you want to do? Oh, I, I don't care. Just whatever God wants. And you're like, well, you're not a robot that he's downloading information into. You're a person that he calls friend, son, daughter, brother, sister, temple. He wants to know, hey, in your humanity, like, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? But a question comes up every time I used to hear this, and it comes up very quickly is, yeah, but what about those desires? What about the disordered desires? What about where my longing is simply, you know, to get drunk out of your mind and hook up with someone on a Friday night? What if your longing is like, Father, it's like two clicks away and I get Tinder on my phone again. What if your longing is, all I want to do is find that person from college and just ream them a new one all day long? What if my desire, Father, is to see the person that hurt me miserable? What if my desire, Father, is simply to be better than everyone else at Culture Project? Like, what about those things? Clearly the Father doesn't want to fulfill those. Those are sinful, right? In the church word, we call those disordered desires. They don't lead you to God. They take you from Him. But all of these places are manifestations of a broken heart, not of an evil person. When you see someone really animated by these kinds of desires, you're seeing someone who's suffering and hurting immensely. And of course, it's hidden behind all sorts of anger and maybe hiding behind knowledge or whatever, but underneath it is deep amounts of pain. A broken heart seeks sin, vice, Habitual things that lead us away from the 
beauty of Christ. So someone who's in pain develops false identities. I'm just not that girl. I'm just not a great guy. I'm not strong enough. Now I'll hide behind knowledge or I'll hide behind jokes or I'll hide behind who I know or experiences I've had. I'll hide behind religion. Right? How many of us? Now, God gave me a really big grace as soon as I started practicing my faith, which I was allergic to anything Catholic, even though I was super in the seminary, okay? <laughs> Meaning that, like, if people started saying, you got to read the Peter Kreef book, I wouldn't touch Peter Kreef for a year then. <laughs> yeah, I don't need him. <laughs> but do you hide behind the newest Father Mike Schmidt's video or the Systemarium quote? You got to read this book, got to do that. If they're vehicles of freeing your heart to greater intimacy with Christ, awesome. If they're the way you make up for feeling I'm not enough and I'm in pain and I can just quote these Catholic things to look cool, lovable, and impressive, they're destructive. They're keeping you in your pain. So these broken desires, let's call them symptom sins. They're symptoms of a deeper thing. And these false identities that we claim to cope with the pain, they keep us enslaved in these places. And they start walling off the pain so other people can't reach it and touch it and see it and actually love it. Love you where you're hurting. We keep people at arm's distance. There's one particular kind of pain that I think hurts a lot. It's unmet desire. You didn't have a desire for something sinful necessarily. It just never got fulfilled. Maybe you wanted your dad to have that one-on-one conversation with you and bless you with his words. Maybe you longed to be asked to a dance and you never were. Unmet desire is really painful and there's an important question. Why does God the Father allow us to have unmet desire? Because it's a reason why a lot of people stop believing in God. He oftentimes allow it because the desires that may seem ordered are at a shallower level of our hearts. And there's something deeper he wants to get us in touch with to fulfill even deeper places. Deeper identity. Deeper transformation. St. John of the Cross has a quote, something like, by the way, if you look for my quotes, when I quote people, they're all messed up. They're close enough, though, okay? So if you look, if you're one of those people who like the exact quote, you might just go outside for a little bit. I'm always going to get the quote wrong. That's why I gave you a sheet of quotes the best I could. But John of the Cross says, there's caverns in our soul. They're infinitely deep that only the infinite one can fulfill. And we don't want to feel so empty and needy and dependent. And so a lot of times we want to, we want things shallower. But the Father allows unmet desires sometimes because he wants us to discover Jesus' mercy and his ability to bring us even deeper into our own humanity. And in discovering it, we discover the echoes of divine life within us. That we really are like the Blessed Mother who is the model of the church according to the Catechism. That we really do bear divine life and divine images within us. That you really are a bearer of divine life. 
In my own life, this was very clear, this unmet desire pain. It was actually right around the time I started being a chaplain for Culture Project. I had gone through my priesthood kind of unconsciously presuming, hoping, desiring to be sent to Rome to get a doctorate so that I could be really, really smart about the faith. I could know the faith really well and teach it really well. There's numerous things that led to this desire. One of them was I felt like the seminary I went to, we didn't get the greatest of theology. It was good, but it wasn't the greatest. So I wanted to sure up loose ends in my life. Because I just knew, oh, the second thing was, is the priests I found to be hero figures to me had all gone to Rome and gotten a doctorate. They had all ongoing education, or they were sent away to somewhere for ongoing education. And so the priests that I knew that I admired, they were sent. I felt the lack in my own life. And one of the priests, I asked, I said, who do they normally decide to send away? And they said, they try to send the really good priests away so that they can do good formation at the seminary. Totally makes sense. Great. Yeah, we don't want bad guys forming seminarians. That would be a train wreck in the future. But see, almost unconscious, what my heart heard was priests who aren't sent away are the bad priests. So I found out a guy who's a year behind me, his good friend of mine, was being sent to Rome. And we were, we were just like soul brothers in the sense that he knew every thought in my soul, I knew his. And when you know people's like, thoughts and their souls, you know, it gets pretty weird in there, right? So you're good friends, all right? And so he was very tenderly, gently breaking the news to me before he told anyone else. And uh, I was really happy for him because I thought he was going to do good formation. But it put me in such anger at God. Because this beautiful desire, I wanted to know more about the church so I could serve the church better. It put me, I was angry, I was bitter, but I knew enough to know that I had to keep showing my anger to God. So I shared it with him. I shared it with friends. I shared it with spiritual directors. And everyone tries to speak into it. And no one really had any great answers. My lay friends were like, well, you know, us in the pews, we need good priests too. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. Because, um, you know, like when you're angry, you're like, eh. you want to give them the middle finger. And you're like, whatever, right? But you know they're trying to love you. So you're kind of like, thanks. That's so nice to hear. God bless you. I hope you find Jesus. And so you move on to the next thing. And then, like, you know, and then in our own diocese, there was this weird narrative that anyone who wants to be sent away is somehow wants to leave the parish life, and therefore they're a selfish, bad priest. So then I had shame on top of this pain. And trying to navigate all of this was maddening and painful. And finally, I remember uh, late at night or early morning, I woke up at a weird time, and I just went to the chapel to pray. And I just started crying and just letting God have it. And as I'm bringing all the insides out, I'm starting to get in touch with this lie, right, that good priests get sent to Rome, bad priests don't. And I realized that's the first lie, that Jesus never said that. All right, so I was able to renounce that lie. And in renouncing that, I began to have a little openness in my heart to start hearing a different voice, namely the Father's. (laughs) And I heard the father say, what makes a good priest? And I was like, started listing all these credentials and things that I knew of good priests. And he's just like, what makes a good priest? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, you're right, you don't. He's like, so why are you filling in the blank with things that you can't be and I'm not calling you to be? So there began to be this, like, then I was not just renouncing, now I'm repenting of self-hatred and self-loathing, self-reliance. 
And I'm going through this whole purifying prayer time, and it was a couple hours in the middle of the night. What finally pops out on the other side was, good priests have intimacy with God. That's it. That's a good priest. It's not that he can quote Vatican II or Vatican I or Augustine. It's not that they wear cassocks or have rosaries. It's not that they, have, they can quote Aquinas. Good priests have intimacy with God. And all of those things are good in so much as they foster and deepen intimacy with God. Do you know the Father? That's what makes a good priest. He knows the Father. He knows what he's like. See, that desire, which was sincere and beautiful, went unmet because the Lord needed to get me deep into my identity. Who am I before God? What really matters to God? And I had to go through the pain and anger and throwing temper tantrums at him. I had to, there's no shortcut. It's a holy place, so I'll say it a different way. You got to go through the stuff. Huh? Get it? Right? You got to go through it. There's no way around it. Because it strips you of your masks and your self-reliance and you become so small before God. And you realize these little places are absolutely beloved to him. Maybe not to the people in your life or even to you at times, but to him they're endearing. And he showed me two things. One, I couldn't find healing by myself. Two, I couldn't find it with God alone. It was because I kept sharing with other people took the risk of being vulnerable and got hurt, felt shame, all this, but that I was constantly trying on, if you will, different spiritual clothes to find out which one fit. And finally I could find, okay, none of these are working. Lord, what's left? So what do we need to really hear our hearts? What skill, talent, gift, insight do you need in order to really navigate the interior journey well? We need to learn to suspend our contempt at our own inner world. I'm stupid, this is dumb, it's selfish, it's immature, it's not holy, it's bad. We need to suspend contempt and welcome kindness and curiosity. There's parts of you that only will come to light when surrounded by loving kindness. It remains hidden because it will be hurt in an atmosphere of contempt. Only when you have kindness and curiosity at your own story, your own heart, will you discover the beauty that's in there. The real wounds that need kissed and held. The power God's trying to share. But to the degree that we stay in a posture of contempt and criticism, there's parts of ourselves that remain hidden. God asks questions of us a lot. Adam, where are you? To the prophet, to Haggai, he says, where did you come from? Where are you going? In Isaiah, he says, is there anything more I could do for you? The gospel of John, what are you seeking? What do you want me to do for you? Do you even want to be well? See, God asks questions so that we take seriously our hearts and our desires, and step into relationship with him around those areas. He's kind and curious, and we are treating our hearts like whack-a-mole. Right? The machine where the little thing pops up and you hit it with a hammer. Bad, no, unlovable. 
If someone knew this, I would be rejected. So no. But when we join in divine activity, when we join Jesus in his mission of love, in his mission of truth, in his mission of zeal for hearts, the first place we have to join him in being a missionary is being missionaries of our own hearts. We have to let him ask us questions. We have to let him shine on places in our own hearts and stories so that we can step into communion with God and discover it is good to be alive. God is not first interested in healing you. He's interested in being with you. That's his first desire. I don't want to heal you and fix you. I don't see you as a problem. I want to spend time with you. I created you as a gift. I actually want to enjoy you. For Lent, I built the Lego set. It was a penance a priest gave me for confession, which I really didn't like. Uh, It's a good penance, because I don't have the patience for Lego. So I built this Lego thing. It is a Statue of Liberty, whatever, and uh, of epic proportion. And... um, when I got done building it, I would at night, I would just stare at it. And I'd say, there's my Lego creation. <laughs> and it brought me all sorts of joy and pride. Look what I made. Look how awesome this thing is. This was for kids 13 and up. No toddler could do this. <laughs> I have some, I have some my, my opposable thumbs. No animal could do it. There's right? a real, real feat. I just enjoyed looking at it. You just wanted to, I mean, you couldn't play with it. It's a thing, right? That's the littlest glimmer of the fathers looking at you. I made a cam who claws at the idea of dating. <laughs> like, like, God loves that. He enjoys you. That's his first move. But to realize that you are enjoyed and loved even in your brokenness, that is a saint. What is a saint? Someone who knows they're loved and delighted in by God, even in their brokenness. That God's delight is not a reward for getting your act together. It's just promised to you by the very fact you exist. So lest I go uh, way over my time here, I gave you this list of quotes to pray with and read throughout the day. Uh, Tomorrow I'll, I'll use it a little bit more. But the last quote on there is really what I want you to read today you can. It's by Pope Benedict. He just talks about how we have a longing for the infinite in our hearts. He says, when the thirst for the infinite goes unmet, we, be, we go on a frantic, sterile search for false infinites. The thirst of the flesh and the soul can't be eliminated. He says, we reach out in drugs, disordered sexuality, technologies, success at every cost, even deceptive forms of piety. The early church, which by the way, the Orthodox brothers and sisters here in this chapel, they love the early church. Walking on the grounds this morning, there's a a street named St. Ignatius. There's another one called St. Basil the Great. They love the early church. The early church defined prayer as nothing but getting naked before God. That's not like a one-time event. We have layers of fig leaves. And our goal, step by step, day by day, year by year, is to drop another fig leaf. So by the time we are called from this world, God can say, 
you came back. By the mercy and power of Jesus, you are who I created you to be. So I'd like to end with a little meditation, if you'll join me. I know sometimes it's hard to do a group meditation because uh, you, just, you just feel other people around you, but you're all missionaries, right? You all love Jesus. You all also are broken and need his tenderness, and we're all here together. So I'm going to say a little prayer to the Holy Spirit, and then just do a guided meditation for you. And uh, I'll just take as long as it takes and just ask you to stay in it, and then I'll end with a formal prayer to close us out, okay? name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we cannot pray without your help, so please give all of us the gift of prayer. Help us to be so open to receive the Father's gift of this meditation, that he desires us to have intimacy with Jesus, and so we ask for this grace of openness to just allow the meditation to take over. going to draw you into just kind of a a walkway by the Sea of Galilee. You can hear the waves in the background. You can see some clouds in the sky. It's a partly sunny day. There's some clouds. It's warm, but with the breeze, it's just a touch chilly, but not uncomfortable. To the other side of you is just this open field of grass and kind of rocks and kind of looks like a little trail to walk on. You can smell the sea as it's in the air. You can feel your hair being moved by the wind. You begin to notice Next to you is Jesus. He is a free man. He doesn't need people's approval. He's just in love with humanity. He knows what a sea means in the sun. He can see creation as it was intended to be. And you see the wind pushing against his beard and his hair and his tunic that he wears. It's kind of flowing And he's just smiling with eyes closed, enjoying this moment by the sea. He's enjoying all of creation. You don't sense any restlessness or hurrying with him. He moves at his speed. And he gestures for you to follow him as you walk on this little dirt trail in between the tall grass. And you start walking. And as you walk, you can just see his hands gliding through some of the tall grass. And he kind of goes off to the side. There's a little hill. And he sits down and invites you to sit down next to him. The sun beating down. Jesus just sitting there. Notice how he's sitting. These are things we can sense, right? More than formally see, but just sense how he's sitting there. 
you're sitting there next to him and there's just some times of silence as you just see and feel the grass moving. You can still hear the sea faintly in the background and Jesus is right there with you. Jesus looks up and he's looking right at you. And he says, how was your year this year? Let that question elicit and illuminate things in your heart and go ahead and tell them whatever's coming up for you. How was your year this year? Just go ahead and tell them in the silence of your heart what's coming up. He says, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. You can tell he just, there's no judgments. He's not interested in fixing. He's really interested and moved by your heart. And he says, I, I'm so glad you shared. He says, I'm just, I'm just going to ask again, how was your year? And he kind of smirks and says, you know I know. So like, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. How was this year for you? Let them know you're everything. Don't clean it up. Don't make it pretty. Don't move from emotions to clear categories. Just let them have your heart. How was this year for you? share with him, I want you to be more aware of what's he like as he hears you. So you're aware of what you share, but how does he seem? Is he peaceful, delighted, proud of you, desirous? How does he seem towards you? If this meditation has just been dark and dry and restless, let him know how you feel about that. Maybe you're upset with him that this meditation doesn't feel powerful for you. Nothing's happening. Maybe there's some self-rejection and criticism about yourself coming up. Share with him what's happening for you in this time. If this meditation isn't clicking, let him know what that's like for you. Step into vulnerable relationship. with eyes still closed from that place in your heart. Honor Jesus by joining with me and saying in our Father, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.